0: Hi, everyone. I'm Rudy Paman uh, president of the Nevada Republican Club. And thank you for joining us on another exciting segment on our limited uh, series, uh, Election 2022, Meet the Candidates. Today, we have an exciting candidate who I really adore and love, Danielle Gallant, running for Assembly District. Oh, gosh, I don't have my notes in front of me. Twenty three. Yes. Twenty three. So, Danielle, welcome.
1: Thank you, Rudy. I appreciate the invite. I've been excited about this all week.
0: Well, we're excited to have you because, you know, one thing we really want to do is focus on candidates throughout the state uh, to give them an, an ad, uh, a platform to actually talk a little bit about themselves so that voters that are doing their research before election have the opportunity to learn more about our candidates. So, Danielle, are, are you originally from Nevada or did you wh- tell us your story? Where did you come from?
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from the Bay Area. Don't hold it against me. <laughs> um, grew up there until I was 18. And then my dad said he wasn't going to pay for school unless I was east of the Mississippi. So I chose Alabama of all places. Wow. Um, yeah, I went to Auburn University, best decision I ever made. Growing up in California, you're taught California has all the answers. If anybody's not doing it like California, then they're wrong. And then I go to Alabama and I meet some wonderful people and I learned that there's this whole new way of thinking and living. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with it so much that I got my undergraduate there and then decided to get my master's there as well, because I did not want to leave. So, wow.
0: yeah. Um, so, so, okay. So, so how did you end up here in Las Vegas or Henderson? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So I ended up getting a job in Atlanta and I worked there for four years and Atlanta just wasn't my thing. I wasn't feeling it. And so I moved back home in my 20s, which was a little bit of a, you know, swallow the pride Um, and just sort of restarted my life in San Francisco. My parents lived in Pleasant Hill, which is over in the Bay Area, and got a job at the Jewish home as a social worker Mm -hmm. and uh, met another social worker. Her name's Danielle also, who said, you have to meet my brother. He's so sweet. He's so nice uh and i was like "eh, i'm okay and she kept kept asking and finally i was like okay i'll meet your brother and i met paul who is now my husband
0: (laughs) wow no i I met paul he's a great guy but that that's a great story
1: yeah it is so i'm wife danielle and she's sister danielle Um, and we always joke she said i just thought you guys would date for a little bit i had no idea you'd end up getting married and having two children
0: well, she's probably so, saying that because there's confusion at family get-togethers when people say, Danielle, everyone's looking.
1: Everybody looks, except she and I can tell the difference the way Paul says my name versus her name. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so Paul and I got married. We're living in a place called Brisbane in a house. It's a shoebox, 843 square feet, two bedrooms, wow. one bath. Mm-hmm. Um, we bought when nobody else could. It was the cheapest house in the neighborhood and it was a teardown. And thank God, my husband's a contractor, we were able to take on this project. So at this point, we have Zander. Um, He's our oldest, and he's about one year old at this point. And I get a terrified call from my mom. Hmm. Now, my parents were living in Pleasant Hill. They moved to Nevada. My dad made some really bad financial decisions in their retirement and needed to get to Nevada and work things out. And... Sander's almost a year old my mom calls me terrified I just got home from a meeting she's a big dog person like obedience trained so she sits on all sorts of boards Hmm. and she goes I got home your father's car is gone clothes are gone and there's a note on the door he's left me and he's gambled away what left we've had
0: oh my gosh
1: gut wrenching. so Hmm. he's taken his social security he's taken what little nest egg they had and she's like I don't know what I'm gonna do So Paul and I sit down and we really take a look at what's going on in California. We are making six figures and we're poor. There was one Christmas we couldn't make our mortgage. We had to borrow money from family because we pay our guys before we pay us. That's always how it works. And we're living again in a shoebox. We can't afford to have another child. Um, I can't even watch Fox News without being worried. Somebody is gonna come knock on my door because we had glass on the front door. Um, and I finally said, this is it. I'm done. Uh, we got to get out of here. And he goes, all right, what do we do? And he goes, you want to go back into being a therapist? And I said, God, no. (laughs) And he said, what do you want to do? And he goes, how about real estate? And I said, oh God, no. Um, but we did a little bit more research and property management was something that like more sung to me. It's recurring revenue. I get to build a nice portfolio, have a long-term relationship with my clients. Then on top of it, I get to do accounting, I get to do the um, eviction law, I get to do IT, um, customer service. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. And we decided that we're going to move to Nevada. So Xander and I moved to Nevada and left Paul in California and lived with my mom for a year until we built up Guardian. Wow. And got it to the point where I could support us. Then Paul, 15 months later, moved here after he finished out all of his jobs, sold the house, and we were all able to be together. Because as self-employed folks, you don't just get to pick up and you know, get a paycheck. We have to build it in order for us to be together. So I remember we were living in one of our rentals because at that point, Paul and Xander and I can't be living with my mom anymore. So right. we decided to live in one of our rentals. Three-bedroom, two-bath townhouse, 1,500 square feet. I'm, I always tell this story because it's so funny. So I'm. Just, he, Paul's in the bathroom, and I'm standing there, and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, well, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And he goes, Danielle, we have two other bathrooms. You don't have to wait in line anymore. <laughs> Which is essentially what it's like living in California. We're struggling. We're on top of each other. And, you know, within 15 short months, I was able to build a company to support us. Paul had, you know, finished up his jobs and was able to save up a ton of money because it was cheaper having Xander and I living in in Nevada than having us all three in California together.
0: Isn't that something? Um, So when when did you and Xander first move? How many years ago was this?
1: So it was on Xander's second birthday. Hmm. So it was June. No, excuse me. April 17th, 2013. And we celebrated his birthday at my mom's house that evening. That's That's a great story. Yeah. So, you know, we knew we needed to help support my mom, which was part of us moving here. Um, and I tell that story who is a lovely
0: lady by, by the
1: way she is, and it's, she's very stoic and she's very private. Um, it took her several years to admit to her friends that are, that my dad and her were divorced. It's sort of a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was hard for her in the beginning for me to be able to tell this story. But we sat down and I, I said to her, this is an important story to tell because it is really the reason why I'm running. Because in five short years, Paul and I built up two businesses. He's a GC here in town, um, gallant Construction. We have Guardian, which is our property management brokerage. Um, we bought her a house, 15 houses, yeah, 15 houses down from us in the same street. Uh, we bought her a car. She doesn't have to worry about anything. Like she's almost 80, by the way.
0: Wow. She doesn't look 80. Old. She looks fantastic.
1: I know. <laughs> so people think, you know, uh, oh, she can. She looks so young. She's not. She it, she couldn't restart her life. And. Yeah. And so, you know, we have built a really nice life for ourselves. That there's no way we would have been able to do that in California, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the short period of time that we did it. And the kids have a wonderful, like, community, school, friends. I, I mean, I, I'm just always blown away and amazed what we've been able to do in less than a decade here.
0: And and it now it right is amazing. Office, which is
1: so. Crazy. So how
0: do you so so what happened here, right? So yeah. you're doing well. Uh, You and Paul have built a beautiful couple companies, right? Beautiful family. Everything's going great. Why put a little bit of the brakes to decide to run for office? And and, I mean, number one, it's something new. And number two, it's why run for office when you've got two businesses to manage?
1: Sure. Um, So five years ago, when Scott passed the ESA bill, I was all on board. We found out Xander was not gonna be a good candidate for public school, Um, kind of long story about him. And we weren't really budgeting for private school and we really had to pivot and move and, and make a change for Xander and get him to a private school. And getting that five grand for the ESA was gonna make a huge difference for our family. So for the first time in my life, always followed politics. I mean, I always loved talking about it, always read about it, always talked about it at the table from the time I was six years old. Um, but never thought about actually getting involved in a candidate's race personally. And I decided to get involved in Scott's congressional race. Mm, Here's a man that has like literally moved mountains by implementing ESA first in the nation, and now we've got to get behind this guy and they're doing a fundraiser at my office. And how did you
0: connect, how did you connect with the state Senator?
1: Yeah, so I, my office has been in Rod Woodbury's office since he bought, bought the building. And they were doing a fundraiser for Scott because, of course, they're very involved. Right. So I got a call from Scott one afternoon. And I don't want to take it. My admin's insisting that I take this call. And I'm rolling my eyes. Oh, he just wants money. At this point, I don't know that he's part of the ESA. Okay. Right. They're going to have a fundraiser. He just wants money. I'm too busy. No, you should take the call. So I get on the call with Scott and... I said, look, I'm super busy. I just need to know where you stand on the ESA. He goes, well, what do you know about it? So I proceed to educate Scott about the ESA. And after I'm done, I said, don't give me some squishy politician answer. Is it a yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> and he says, considering that I sponsored it and was authored it, um, I think that's a yes. Oh, I was so embarrassed. Oh, I said to him, fine, I will be there next week with a check in hand. You can surgically remove the foot from my mouth. <laughs> Okay. So I've never donated to a candidate before in my life. I'm now looking at this going, we got to invest in this guy. I show up with a thousand dollar check, which was a big check for us at yeah. the time. And his campaign manager, Ross Hemminger, is there. He watched me work. He calls it work the room, talk to everybody. And as I'm leaving, he says, have you ever thought about running for office? Hmm. And I said, are you insane? And he goes, no, I've been watching you. Like, you're intelligent, you're articulate, you're warm, you know how to relate to people. And I said to him, look, I am no one. I'm a small business owner. I have two children. I really like hanging out with my husband. And I don't come for money. I don't come from a political family. You don't want anything to do with me. Okay. Yeah. And he goes, that's exactly what we want. And I said to him, No, I, I'm sorry, but thank you very much. And he goes, If we don't get people like you to run, how are we ever going to fix this? And I walked out of there. And Scott. With
0: seeds in your head, right?
1: With seeds in my head. I get home, we're having dinner. I'm like, Oh, hon, check this out. This is so funny. We had a good laugh about it. Meanwhile, um, Ross puts me in touch with Zach Guyman, who is relentless and kept in touch with me throughout the years. Just how are you doing? Just checking on you interested in running for office. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. Then we have COVID. Yeah. And I'm stuck at home. With two kids, four years apart, trying to zoom preschool and. Third, fourth grade, because Anders kind of it was anyway,
0: it was a mess. I don't either. It was a mess it was messed.
1: And Paul is a contractor working on vacant houses. So every morning, he's like, "Bye, hon. Have a great day."
0: And here you're trying to manage failed distance learning while trying to manage the books of two companies.
1: Correct, and deal with property management during the worst time ever yes. in the history of property management with the eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. And you're three months into it, then you're six months into it, then you're a year into it. And now I'm getting phone calls from my owners. Tears, because they're worried about losing their life savings. People who are retired, like my mom. I mean, essentially what the government did to my landlords, or at least threatened them, is the same thing that my dad did to my mom. Hmm.
0: So this it's not just the financial impact. This is really hitting home with you
1: it's really hitting home to me and it scared me here the government for the first time in american history has decided to get interfere in a private contract between two private citizens and decide one citizen has more rights than the other without due process yeah. it scared the heck out of me and so guyman calls me up it was december what is that 2020
0: 20 yeah
1: 2020. And he says, I hear Glenn Levitt's not going to run for state assembly. He wants to go for the Senate seat. You want to do this? And I said, yes.
0: So it didn't, it, it, it wasn't <laughs> a lot of thinking time. The question was posed no. out there and you just jumped because you already knew.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I was sick of it. I was tired of the government thinking that the government, that we work for the government rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I put my cell phone number, my email address on every piece of literature that we send out, because I expect to get calls and I expect to have to answer for my actions.
0: There's I mean, no do you, find, do you find that so your story, I mean, your story is heart wrenching, inspiring at the same time, but it's also a story that many other Nevadans have have gone through. at a certain level, right? I mean, there's a lot of working moms out there that dealt with the failed distance learning and having to balance a job or balance a business, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, when you knock on doors, are you finding that your story resonates with with others?
1: I don't really, when we're knocking on doors, I don't really have an opportunity to share that story. Um, And I'm, And I'm not really there to tell them about me. I'm there to listen, to hear about what their concerns are. And people are really interested in hearing, or, you know, about talking about what their concerns are. So what, what Uh, what is the biggest
0: concerns you've heard?
1: So it depends on the neighborhood. So I have a big 55 plus community and for them it's crime and education. Mm -hmm. Um, in the non 55 plus communities, what I'm hearing is education, economy and crime. So they overlap to a certain degree, mm-hmm. um, but th- those seem to be the three top issues. Um, and somehow I feel like it's getting lost in the messaging within this general election.
0: And, and think- so so the with respect to messaging, what do, what do you see in, uh, in terms of this election cycle? What are some of the challenges in the messaging you're seeing out there?
1: Yeah, so... Um, Uh, we're being inundated with ads that uh, essentially the Republican ticket all the way down is going to take away women's rights. We're going to take abortion off the table. I mean, it is so rampant that my kids who have uh, kids YouTube, so it's filtered. They're not allowed to get the bad stuff. Um, My 11-year-old loves to watch science videos. (laughs) Why would I take that away from him? Don't we all? Yeah. You know, I was watching it with him today. He's not feeling so hot. And so there was some cool stuff that we got to watch today. Um, but, and when I was watching it with him, we had four ads come up that April Becker, Rhonda Knightley, Joe Lombardo, and Adam Laxall are going to take away, uh, abortion rights, even in the case of rape and incest,
0: which is so untrue.
1: But now I'm having to have a conversation with my 11 year old about what rape and incest are, even though it's in the like kids, it's supposed to be filtered. They're not supposed to be seeing that kind of stuff. The ads are getting through, they're still getting through to the kids. And then I was at the car repair shop like a week ago, and I'm sitting in the waiting room. And again, take away abortion rights, take away abortion rights, take away abortion, and people are believing it. And I'm not seeing on our end, any effort to say, no, 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 guys, that's just a distraction. Because the only people that can take abortion rights away here in Nevada are the voters itself. They voted for it back in 1990. It was on the ballot. It was the voter's choice by 63% to allow abortion up to 25 weeks and six days. And it is codified into our statute. There is not one legislator from the governor on down that can ever take that away from Nevadans.
0: so and and yeah i see the same ads everyone's seeing the same ads it's the democrats have made it a point to make this the big issue and and it's all based on a bunch of lies so so correct me if i'm mistaken so what you're saying and we know this to be true is that there is no way the any access to abortion as it is right now by law can be changed by anyone other than going through a ballot initiative in the next election cycle and giving the vote to the people of Nevada to decide.
1: Correct. And so you would actually have to have um, some type of group try to get enough uh, signatures in order to get um, another ballot initiative onto the ballot. Um, supporting one way or another, or even, you know, amending it in some way. And then it would have to be on the ballot two cycles in order for it to again, completely Right. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know if everybody remembers we were talking about like opening up our energy. Do you remember this? Like we were trying to, uh, it passed the first time, but it didn't pass the second time. So it's dead. Um, It's, it's,
0: it's a near impossibility to change anything in that fashion. I can't even imagine right. historically in the state, has there anything been changed having to go through that process? It's such a laborious, expensive, yeah. uh, long process.
1: Yes. And then also I was doing a little bit more research, and back in 2019 by executive order, they decriminalized uh, abortion so that it, it, you know people could not, doctors, nurses could not be, um, you know, press criminal charges for uh, doing abortion or morning after pill. So it's just been another layer on this. Um, and again, I, you know, when I have constituents ask me, what's your stance on abortion? My response is, it doesn't matter. I have no control over that. Now, I know that those ads want you to think that the state legislature has control over it, but we don't have any control over it, only you guys. But what I do have control over is working on lowering our gas uh, tax so that it's more affordable, like diversifying our economy, strengthening our economy, finally bringing school choice back to uh, Nevada. And I say back because we were the first, thanks to Senator Hammond with ESA. And then what it ended up doing was that it started this domino effect. So Virginia took what we did, improved upon it, and implemented it there, and it's doing great. And then Arizona took what Virginia did and improved upon it and it passed it and it's doing amazing. So we wanna take a look at what Arizona did and bring it back to Nevada. It's like we've taken it full circle, it's time. And that's a bipartisan issue. I mean, Democrats, Republicans, independents, like almost what, 85% of the country gr- agrees that we need to do school choice in some way, shape or form. But so those would you ads say- are distracting us from that. They so don't want okay, us talking so about it.
0: so let me ask you this. So I think we agree that the Democrats are, are are dumping quite a bit of money to promote this mistruth out to create fear. Why do you think that, that they're doing that?
1: Because they're doubling down on an agenda and on policy that nobody is happy with, and so they don't really have anything positive to run on. Mm-hmm. And, and it's time that the republicans start and even the, like pulling in independents and libertarians as well i mean if we want to start reaching more outside of our party we have to start having conversations that make you lean into the conversation rather than leaning out which is why we've had i mean it's been in the news multiple times this is like you know groundbreaking that we've had a, an equal amount of people who are nonpartisan independent, uh, as Republican and Democrat, it's almost a third, a third, a third. Now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: tell me why a third of our constituents don't want to be on either side.
0: Valid point. Cause
1: we're nasty. People are mean, I'm tired of it. Oh, look, another ad against Catherine Cortez, Matthew. Oh, another ad against Laxall. Oh. And I'm like, just turn it off. I'm done. And I'm in the middle of this. Um, And I, and I talk about this a lot. I don't, you know, I was a, when I went to Auburn, I got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And we talk about like positive things that we see in couple habits that are, that show a healthy relationship. And then those negative things that really kill a marriage. And there's four things that kill a marriage. We call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's, contempt, defensiveness, criticism and stonewalling. So contempt mm. kind of looks like you know Rudy's making jokes again and I'm rolling my eyes. Oh, can you believe he's doing that again? Oh that's a it's a body reaction right And then the criticism like you never clean up your socks or you're always criticizing me and then the defensiveness no I'm not I picked them up yesterday. <laughs> And then the stonewalling, after you've done all of this over and over and over again, everybody goes, that's it. I'm done. I can't talk to this person. I'm out. Yep. And that's what the independents and the, and the libertarians have done. They've stonewalled. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not having this conversation anymore. I can't talk to you. I'm not listening. But if we stopped doing that, I mean, you know, either side. But if the Republicans stopped doing that, and we started showing like, leaning into the conversation, really listening to people, having compassion and respect and really taking a look at like what our core values are, because I, 75, 80% of the country would agree. I don't want to have to pay high taxes. I want right. to pay my share, but I don't want to pay a lot of taxes. And I also want my government to spend you know, responsibly just like I have to spend responsibly. And I want my children educated. However, that, you know, looks, but I want them educated. I'll tell you right now, Nevada, they are not upholding their contract to us. Our kids are not being educated. We keep giving them money for a job that they are not doing. They have failed on their contract. I don't so know about me- you, but my business, I don't keep paying for something that's not being delivered.
0: So let me ask you this. Your district, you are likely to win because it's a, a, a big Republican district, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so assuming that you're going to bring home a big win and you start heading up to Carson City, what are the, what are the couple things you really want to focus on?
1: Uh, school choice is going to be a huge one. Um, I would like to take a look at how we can sort of clip the wings of the bureaucracy and I think COVID, we see that even on a federal level, but we see it at a, a local level too, where we've got OSHA and the CDC, and they're raining laws and restrictions down upon us, and they're not, they're not elected. So, you know, and if we see this across the board. I don't know how many times I hear, um, building's a big deal here, right? New builds, remodels, Each of the cities have an opportunity to have like a positive interaction with their constituents. Mm -hmm. We're doing a building process. Let's walk through this. Let's do this together. How exciting. Make it a positive experience. I don't know anybody that is excited about going to the, uh, getting a building permit. It's arduous. It's contentious. It's angry. It's a long process. And I think we need to start empowering our From the state all the way down, that when we're interacting with the public, that we need to provide customer service that we do with all of our businesses and and start looking at it like we work for them. And how can we help you with this process? And how can we make this easier? So I'd like to take a look at laws that will empower our government agencies uh, to support our, our constituents.
0: To become true public servants. Bring, so Daniel, yeah,
1: exactly. So we have a couple
0: more minutes. So mm-hmm. let's say you're knocking on doors. What what do you say to sell your candidacy in your campaign? So you're knocking on a door, a person answers, they're warm and receptive. They're excited to meet you. Why should the voters vote for you?
1: Oh, um, I don't know. Each conversation's different. <laughs> oh, I can um, imagine. Yeah. I mean, whenever I meet somebody, I always tell them like, here's my contact information. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you about your concerns. There's something I can do to help. I will do it. Or I will put you in touch with the person that can help you. But at the end of the day, I work for you and I answer to you. So call me up and tell me whether I'm doing a good job or a bad job. And let's talk about how we can do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff. Cause I'm not perfect and I want feedback. Well,
0: that's great. I think, I think one of the challenges that are out there is during tough times, especially during the pandemic, A lot of constituents, you know, they were looking for leadership. They were looking for uh, their elected leaders to kind of give them a hand. And at the very minimum, at least listen to the challenges that are out there to hopefully offer a guiding hand in a direction that led to solutions or some ideas. So, you know, you're you being that accessible. And I know that I I speak to a lot of candidates. I I, I watch and track a lot of campaigns. Your campaign and you as a candidate are probably one of the most accessible uh, public servants out there. So we appreciate
1: you. Thank
0: you. Well, thank you for having uh, joining us. Uh, And Danielle, thank you for your time. I'm excited to see what Election Day brings forth with your campaign. And we look forward to having you up in Carson City.
1: Thanks, Rudy. I appreciate it. This was fun. Anytime.
0: And and one last question. If people want to learn more about you, they want to support you or get a hold of you. What's the best way to do it?
1: So if you can go to my website, it's danielle4nv.com or you can call me at 725-272-7798 and that will ring this cell phone right here. Amazing. <laughs> um, or you can email me at danielle4nv.com. At Danielle,
0: awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I encourage everyone out there that's that watches this, to definitely reach out and get to know Danielle because she is an inspiring individual. Thank you all. And thank you, Danielle.
1: Thank you.